Today's episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Podgo is providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co. That is one more time, P-O-D-G-O dot C-O, podgo dot co. One of yeah. the greatest feuds of all time is you and the Four Horsemen, but more importantly, you and the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, the American Dream versus the Nature Boy. What was it like feuding with Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen at the time? One of the greatest feuds yeah. ever. I think that uh, the creation of that and it was all of us together. Uh, being able to make something really special. But with Nate, it was easy because he had already, cra- uh, you know, crossed that threshold of uh, the entertainment brought into our industry. But we did go seven nights in a row during the Great Ameri- American Bash, seven nights in a row for seven one-hours. One-hour matches, one-hour Broadway, seven nights in a row and made a story that you could understand, and the people were, were almost at a ride at the end. My chase was the best. Eddie told me in the Army one night, sitting there after everybody had went out, he said, I'm not going to make you, I've talked with Sam, I'm not going to make you world champion, NBA champion. You don't need it. Your chase is the best. And it was not until after I finally went to him and said, okay, the chase is cool for a while. But sometime these people have to get something, whether it's a loaf of bread or whatever they're, you know, I'm selling, they have to, they have to get it. That became short spurts for me with the title, but that's all it needed. It needed that moment, that one moment, uh, you know, to walk out as prestigious NWA champion not like today to where every indep- everyone has a world champion. It, you know, it was amazing uh, the way you felt about uh, the NWA title and the, what it meant to that group of promoters that... American Dream He's just a common man Secondly, I want to thank Jim Crockett Promotions 
for waiting and taking the time because I know how important it was. Starcade 85, it is to the resident fans, it is to Jim Crockett Promotions. And Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream, with that weight, got what I wanted. Ric Flair, the world's heavyweight champion. I don't have to say a lot more about the way I feel about Ric Flair. No respect, no honor. There is no honor among thieves in the first place. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. You don't know what hard times are, Daddy. Hard times are when the textile workers around this country are out of work. They got four or five kids and can't pay their wages, can't buy their food. Hard times are when the auto workers are out of work and they tell them go home. And hard times are when a man has worked at a job 30 years. 30 years. They give him a watch, kick him in the butt and say, hey, a computer took your place, Daddy. That's hard times. That's hard time. And Ric Flair, you put hard times on this country by taking Dusty Rhodes out. That's hard time. And we all had hard times together. I admit I don't look like the athlete of the day supposed to look. My belly's just a little big. My hand is just a little big. But brother, I am bad and they know I'm bad. And there were two bad people. One was John Wayne and he's dead, brother. And the other one's right here. Nature Boy Ric Flair. The world's heavyweight title belongs to these people. I'm gonna reach out right now. I want you at home to know my hand is touching your hand for this gathering of the biggest body of people in this country, in this universe, all over the world now. Reach it out because the love that was given me and this time I will repay you now because I will be the next world's heavyweight champion on this hard time blues. Dusty Rhodes Tour 85 and Ric Flair, Nature Boy. Let me leave you with this. One way to hurt Ric Flair is to take what he cherishes more than anything in the world. That's the world's heavyweight title. I'm gonna take it, I've been there twice. This time when I take it, daddy, I'm gonna take it for you. Let's gather for it. Don't let me down now, cause I came back for you, for that man up there that died 10, 12 years ago and never got the opportunity to see a real wolf champion. And I'm proud of you and thank God I have you. And I love you. Love you! So re- really, the reason at hand, why you know we're, not why we're here, but the, what a good a good chunk of the portion we want to talk about was your good old friend, the American Dream, oh. Dusty Rhodes. And every year, you know, it gets very close to around the annual passing of his death. I always do a, a tribute. I always have a good guest on. I had Dustin on. I had Tully. I had Nikita. I had superstar Billy Graham made a uh, a surprise appearance to talk wow. about Dusty and those matches. Oof. Don't wow. speak about holding yeah. up. Love, wow. love those matches, yeah. too. Yeah. But I wanted to hear you on good good friend of Dusty, not just Dusty the wrestler, but Dusty the man, Dusty the guy. When did you first like meet Dusty? Would it be seventy four in Florida or something? Uh, actually, it was before that. He was leaving Amarillo when I was still in college, and he hates when I say that because that makes him a year older than me. 
<laughs> but he was, and he hated that fact. And he lied about his age. And I want to tell you what kind of person. Dusty is a great man, but Dusty sometimes had had, had real imagination for the truth. Imagine <laughs> it. So, so Dusty, Dusty not always, you know, lied about her age. I didn't, but Dusty did. Dusty, you know, uh, when you're born, Bush, I said September 46. Uh, I know he was born in October 45. But, you know, every territory he went, and I followed this in. But to answer your question, I first met him and I realized he was leaving, going going up to Maine or somewhere like that to play semi-pro football. And so I was passing through, and, hey, how you doing? Met Murdoch for the first time, and, and Terry and Junior. I was just still in college, and I was – I was in training, so I was on loan to Amarillo to go down and do the a bunch of favors for him, for him on TV. So I met all those guys, and we, you know, we hit it off right off the bat there. So that's when I first met Dusty. That had to be '69, right? At '68, late '68, '69. And so anyway, I met him there. I ran across him in Kansas City, you know, doing the same thing, but just, you know, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. But when we finally hooked up and finally became really, really tight and all that stuff was in the 74, down, 73 or 74 down here in, in Florida and continued to have a friendship. And I was telling somebody the other day, somebody said, hey, I saw a picture in the body shop opening. And I had a picture of Dusty Gordon. Dusty Rhodes and Gordon Soley were two of the first investors in Briscoe Brothers Body Shop. And wow. so he he was a partner you know, in the shop when we first opened up, helping do. I mean, he was there for promotion. We had, and I think this this particular picture that this guy had was was one where we did the grand opening with Dusty Road and Jack, myself, Mike, and Eddie, all the baby faces there at the body shop signing autographs. That thing got so damn big, we thought it was just a little body shop open, opening on the corner of Hubert and Buffalo. They got so damn big, the cops came and had to close down the streets there because the traffic was so heavy and everything. Everybody there, that's how hot the territory was at that time. You know, it was tremendous. So, yeah, Dusty, Dusty, you know, we had the friendship there. So well, that you know, he became investor at the shop with us. And uh, he wanted out, and Gordon wanted out. When we, we, we busted open right out of the chute because of the promotion that Dusty and, and Gordon helped us do, we, we had... Uh, local tv coverage and mind you there wasn't no uh, professional team here in tampa at the time all you had was ut football and 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 championship wrestling from florida and uh, we dominated everything and and highlight and we dominated the sports pages and so when we had that grand opening especially when the cops had come come and close down we we're on the news so we busted out of the gate and that body shop was just kicking ass every, every day every week man uh, we're doing really, really good. You know, everybody's happy making money. Then all of a sudden, you know, the insurance companies say, you know, we've let you guys slow, but there's a certain standard that you got to maintain if you want, you want, if you want our business and you guys got to upgrade all your equipment because we bought used equipment. So now we're looking at a four or $500,000 note that we got to sign. So Dusty said, well, you guys buy me out because I can't afford to sign. And he had tax problems, but he had legitimate issues. So we understood. And Gordon, Gordon went the same way. He said, you know, I, I just can't afford it right now if you guys will buy me out. So we, we bought, we, that's when we bought him out. But uh, it didn't affect our friendship. I mean, we were, we were friends until the end, you know. 
with you guys, what like clicked, you know, immediately. Cause it's, you know, some guys really get along. Some guys don't, some guys are just acquaintances. I know, you know, there's so many wrestlers on the road and you, there's so much time away from the family, but what kind of made you guys click? It was background. I mean, we're both from the same part of the world, you know, the Southwest. We understood each other and we trusted each other because we'd met at such an early age and with nothing. I mean, Dream had nothing. I had nothing. Jack had nothing. So we met at just, just an early age with nothing. And, and we were happy when each other was, was making it up through the ranks. It wasn't, wasn't a jealousy thing. Uh, the only, only, there one time there that Jack sensed a little jealousy when Jack was just so hot down here and Dusty was, was trying to get over it and he just couldn't get over the hump, but nobody could, you know, until Jack yeah. won that title, you know, and yeah. then, then, then the door started opening for other guys to get over, but uh, nobody could over but there, there's a little bickering back and forth, but they, it never affected their, their friendship. Every, every Tuesday night, they'd be at the old Imperial Room down there in Tampa, drinking a cold one together, you know, and uh, and hooping and hollering and going to Willie Nelson concerts together, George Jones concerts. I mean, I went to more concerts with Dusty Rhodes than I'd have than anybody, anybody, and probably including my wife, you know, because if anybody was playing that country music anywhere around, we knew we had a free ticket. We knew we had backstage access, and nine times out of ten, these honky-tonk singers were wrestling fans, you know, <laughs> so it, it, was, it was a great reception for us. And So like I said, we, we frequented a lot, a lot of concerts together and had had a ball with each other. I mean, we, we were friends, you know. That's cool because obviously, like, the the guy you know whoever in the concert the country music star he likes wrestling and you guys like him it's like it's just perfect like, oh you're yeah. playing uh, we're, we're gonna go you know backstage uh, uh, man it's cool and get to hang out with your buddy yeah it it was awesome you know Hank Jr. I mean he was one of those guys we read we you know when he was touring it's so hot you know we were touring also in the, in the Carolinas you know and of course Flair and uh, Ricky Steamboat and myself and uh, and Jack and and everybody else on those cards I mean. Piper Valentine, you know, Hank Jr. liked all that stuff, and we go, we we be, so we got kicked out of a hotel one time. We were both both of us got barred from a hotel in, in Richmond, Virginia, uh, one time for partying too too late. You know? <laughs> yep. Was Dusty a big big well, not partier per se, but big drinker? He'd like to throw some back. Dusty was a big partier. You hit it right the first time. I mean, Dusty loved to party. Dusty loved to drink. I mean, Dusty threw some of the greatest, you know, we, you know, like I said, we went over to his house for party. Dusty bought this this house over probably about four miles from me on, on across Del Mabry Highway over there. And uh really nice little thing. It had like ten acres and he he, he dozed like uh four or five acres over and built a, a corral, you know, a horse barn and all that stuff. Cause Dusty had that passion for horses, man. He bought his weakness was saddles, man. He bought every damn saddle there was in the world. You walk into his house right at the doorway, there'd be a new saddle. Hey, Hey, Hey baby, you like my saddle? I just got $5,000. Dusty, damn. $40,000. Wow. As he made more money, the price of the saddles got more expensive. But he, he had this, man, this rodeo ground in the back. He had to swim pool toward the front. And uh, we go over parties. And you'd never know who you'd run into. Hell, we ran into some of the 
some of the most powerful attorneys in the United States at Dusty's party, and we got drunk. Of course, we didn't throw them in a damn lake, and Dusty would be scared to death if they were going to sue him. <laughs> but it was just typical old rasser party. We didn't care what size attorney you were. <laughs> you were know, fair game if you were by that pool. <laughs> What's like? What was it? Or what was his drink of choice? Like, what what did he like drinking? Like whiskey uh, or good old beer. And if he had to get down, there, go Jack Daniels, you know. And but Dusty, he he would he wouldn't prejudice about anything as long as it had some alcohol in. It. I mean, pure grain alcohol. Dusty drank those old purple passions we all used to drink when we were younger, you know, just pure grain alcohol and a bunch of grape juice until you drink it till you get sick, you know. <laughs> yeah. And he was the same way. I mean, uh, you know. That, uh, you know, of course, you know, uh, we get more responsibility, you change more. And as Dusty got more responsibility, and I give him credit for that. He matured a lot. And you could see that maturity. He stopped going out as much. He stopped fraternizing with all the guys a lot. You know, he kind of slimmed the circle down. Once you get those responsibilities, you got to do that. If, if you're going to last, and Dusty saw an opportunity. Dusty, Dusty and I had a lot of thoughts together. We both knew that, you know, the future for us of long-term in the business was getting in the office. We both knew that. We talked about that on road trips a lot, you know, being bookers, being, you know, being in the office and one day owning territories and all that stuff. And going down the road, we talked about that stuff a lot. And it, it, you know, and, and, you know, through hard work and everything, we both accomplished that. Was that always his goal? Like, or there was it when he got mature, he realized he should be in the office. No, when he got mature, I mean, you know, and first he, when he first come in as a booker, he thought he could drink with everybody and party with everybody and still be the boss. You know, he quickly found out, you know, that, that you can't, you know, you got to draw that line between business and friendship and you don't want to, you don't want your best friend, you know, getting involved in business argument with you. And so, uh, he had, like I said, he narrowed his circle way down, you know, and, and uh, he got heat for from a lot of guys because Dusty's getting to be a big shot now. You know, Dusty don't, Dusty not my friend. Dusty don't call me. Dusty don't drink beer with me. You know, dude, he got to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. I mean, you're working for Eddie Graham or Jim Barnett or Jim Crockett. They call you at 5 a.m. They want to know an office report. They want to know a report from the night before. And if you don't have it, man, you know, you ain't going to make it. So, you got you got to slow yourself down so you can handle your responsibilities and and the dream was able to do that and a lot of people didn't think that he could you know a lot of people thought Dusty was Dusty be good old boy going to stay a good old cowboy out in the bars every night but it didn't work like that. What did you think about like his ideas? Not just like his book. You know, everyone says this. Like, did you think it was out of the box at the time, uh, or did you think you like where he was going with some of his ideas? Well, I got early experience with that when we were down here in Florida and we were working together in the office. And uh, the last tangos in Texas, you know, uh, in uh, Tampa, you know, the big stadium show, the Orange Bowl shows. We 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 started Dusty. I say we. It was Dusty's idea. Dusty started experimenting with with interpromotional matches. You know, you can look on that card and see guys talent from. You know, A W or not A W? What is it? Vergod is uh, A W A W A W A. Whatever. Yeah, A W A. There's matches from there. There's matches from Vince Senior because we always use those New York guys. Everybody think it was friendly, but it was business because in certain times of the year, South Florida is ninety percent New Yorkers. So 
You know, it wasn't like we were rolling dice, bringing somebody that they didn't know. We're bringing somebody that they did know. So they, you know, they could they couldn't make the garden show. They could make Miami Beach and West Palm Beach shows and and see their favorite stars from from the WWF. So Dusty really started experimenting then, and then coming up with some of the bizarre matches, you know, that that he came up with, and uh, and you know. And I give him credit, even as a booker then, he kind of experimented because Florida was fortunate because we ran a lot of spot show towns. So he kind of experimented some of these things in, in the smaller towns and see how they responded and see how the talent liked them. And Dusty was a big talent guy, making sure the talent was good and safe and everything. So, but yeah, he, I, 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 was, I was, I, as, as he got on, I think, I think he, kind of got out of control but uh you know who am i to, uh, to judge him i mean you know a lot of people think the same thing about me but uh you know dust dusty was dusty and dusty had his style of doing business and he had his group of guys that he liked to do business and everybody chided him for that you know breaking into that that click but you know what you can go back to uh, the buddy rogers days of our business buddy rogers carried his group of guys around luthez carried his group of guys around all those all those great champions had their guys that they wanted to work with kind of planted them in the territory six months or so before they were due to go there and and so build them up so when when the champion went in there they knew they were they were safe so it wasn't anything new so when 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 you study the business, when you know the business, you can die, dissect them, all these moves. It wasn't out of the ordinary on, on some of the things he would do. Funny, everybody always bust Hogan's balls too, like that. He oh, always yeah. did that. Yeah. People were doing a lot before yeah. him. You know what I mean? Like he's got his beefcakes and his earthquakes and the nasty boys, but you know, everybody did it really. Yeah. I mean, look at the WWF guys did it too. The Click. I mean, all the oh, guys did yeah. do stuff like that. It, it's a fact of business, and like like we laugh about all the time. You know, there's nothing new in this business. I mean, if you take the time to go back and look, yep. I mean, these guys, well, he invented this. I guarantee you, there had been anything invented in a long ass time. <laughs> yep. yep. I was looking. The first match I could find with you and Dusty, you beat him in Georgia, Georgia Championship <laughs> Wrestling, in '74. <laughs> I don't man, know if you're I'm glad he's not, not alive. But, yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad. He, well, I'm not glad he's not alive. But man, if he heard that, he would. He would he'd like Jerry Lauder. Jerry Lauder, you know, Mike Mooneyham, my friend down in South Carolina, posted way back thing. You know, yep. I beat Lauder in some match in Macon, Georgia, or Valdon, you know, Waycross, Georgia. Who cares? Somewhere up in the sticks up there. And Jerry Lawler, why well, you only post matches when when he when when, it, when he went over? I said the only time you went over, Jerry, was when I was in Memphis with your referee. So don't get, get going there. But uh, <laughs> what was the question again? You were asking me. About, oh, I was just saying, uh, like the first match you guys had. Oh, when we, we yeah, yeah. no, I do not remember that match. I wish I could find a poster of that damn thing. But yeah, yeah, Dutchy was fun to work with too, as a heel, as a baby face. I mean, he was just a lot of fun because. You know, it, like we trusted each other, and that's that's so important in a match that you're working with somebody that, you know, you know you can sell as hard and as long as needed, and not have any back thoughts about I'm not going to get my shit in because you know the guy you're working with is going to let you get your shit in, and and yeah. they did, you know, and that's where Dusty was was such a great worker. He knew how to sell. A lot of big guys wouldn't or didn't know how to sell. 
Dusty mastered art of selling down here because Eddie Graham taught him how to sell. Eddie Graham taught him how to draw money by selling. And that's the reason Dusty was such a big star. He, the ultimate, uh, uh, you know, fall guy. He'd go down, and sell, 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 juice, color, color, juice, sell, 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 and all of a sudden he twirl his arm, do a little wiggle, and the place is on their damn feet, man. That was the magic of him. And I always, obviously, am buddies with Kevin Sullivan. I always talk to him. And he said, you know what? Nobody ever said about Dusty. And I was like, what? He goes, no one ever said he was fat. Nobody huh. ever talked about him being overweight. And I said, really? He said, no, because like psych- psychologically, you're just like, I love this guy. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? He was, the, he was like their hero. And, yeah. and it's funny, like, they weren't saying how short Sullivan was either because he was like this yeah. crazy heel. I yeah. was like, That's such like good psychology because you would think people would say like, Hogan's ball, but no one says Hogan's ball. You know what I mean? Dusty's fat, right? Did they? No, nobody really mentioned that about Dusty. They just he he was just Dusty. Nobody, but I'll tell you a little inside joke. How we used to judge Dusty's uh, weight. <laughs> How do you think? You would look at his pants, right, or his, the belt size, or something. Not even close. We'd look oh. at the damn birthmark. Oh, duh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, how big that bird bark can grow, yeah. we'll do how big Dutch can grow. It's like an old tree, you know, every, 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 every milligram of, a, of an inch is you know, yep. five pounds, you know, like on a tree, every milligram is a hundred years yeah. or whatever yep. it is. Yep. They're rings, you know, and so we judge the rings around Dusty's bird bark. <laughs> That's great. Oh, hilarious. <laughs> with, with that, it's funny, but. Like the fans, we were like, we were like super into Dusty. You don't even think like, oh, he's a little chubby. He's like, you, he's just like, no. you get so invested. Yeah. He's so charismatic. Yeah. You're just, yeah. and you know, and everything he does, you're just like, oh, I'm, uh, I'm invested in this guy. Yeah. You don't think yeah. like, oh, he's, he's a little overweight or anything. Like you that. never once thought of Dusty Rhodes' body style. You know, you never, never once. All you, you know, all the comment was, man, he's magic. Man, he's just magic. You know, and uh, he was magic. He was magic to be around. If you didn't smile around Dusty Rhodes, you had something seriously wrong with you. You know, and that, and that. I, I've seen him just light up room after room after room, walking in the room, you know, and that smile of his too. I mean, well, I mean, wow, you know, I I was I was honored, you know, and I, I don't I don't want to jump ahead, but remind me uh, of last time I saw the dream. So before we go off here, yeah, yeah. When I, I interviewed him, his last ever interview was only two days before he had passed. And we had wow. t- spoken briefly a few times, but man, he made it seem like I was like a good buddy of his. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. hey, Johnny, what's going yeah. on? Then he calls yeah. me and I call him back. And like, there's like a little bit back and forth. Like, I didn't really know him. He didn't really yeah. know me, but yeah. he act. And I felt like I was like, oh, I'm like such a great mood. I'm like, I know Dusty yeah. Rose. You know what I mean? It's yeah. one of those things. Like, he can put you in the mood. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. He's, he's just one of those guys. He yeah. just gets you excitable almost uh, yeah he does he does well i i had many experience with him and you know him and my son wes they bonded when wes was very first born uh dusty had gotten married to his wife michelle and my wife and michelle became very very tight friends almost as tight as jack and i and I'm still friends to this day and so uh you know both of us being on the road a lot uh Barbara used to take Wes over to uh, to Dusty's all the time. We got we got we got uh, pictures of Wes crawling crawling all over Dusty's saddles, you know, crawling all over Dusty's furniture, you know, holding Dusty, Dusty holding holding Wes, and uh, I mean, you know, he he bonded with with my son, you know, right right from the very beginning. To me, that was the make of a, of a good person, you know, and uh, 
when you take a kid and uh, you know not not your new bond with them, way dusty bond with 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 my son. It it was it was, it was a pleasure to see, and it was you know that that's that's the other side of Dusty Road that you know a lot of guys and a lot of, not a lot of talent don't get to see, but you know I got to see it up close. Even when Wes got in the business, he was still like close with us. Oh, well, down at FCW down there, he was his Wes's mentor. I mean, uh, when Wes was were down at, at FCW down there, and, and Dusty pushed for to Wes to become uh, uh, Florida Tag Team Champion, you know, with Xavier Woods in at, at FCW. So he was a big booster of, of Wes's, and uh, and uh, you know he, he he did everything he could to help. You know. What would you say like his personality was, Dusty? Just I know he's great with kids, but like, is he like an alpha male? Is like what kind of like like is he type A personality? Like, what kind of like personality did the, the big Dust have? Wow, great question. Because Dusty Rhodes is one of those guys that evolved. I mean, from he he became an alpha male, but when you first met him, I mean, he was he was just charismatic i mean the very first time like i said when i was in the, in the late 60s when i walked in that tv studio and he was there and he wasn't even working but he'd come by to see murdoch and terry and all of his buddies before he headed out to, out to play football and uh he was very charismatic there then you know running into him in kansas city when he was with with murdoch as the outlaws Wow, I got to see a, that side of him that, you know, of course, I didn't see the very first time I met him. And I, I was, holy shit, this guy is good. I mean, and, and once again, you know, I looked at his size. And then I looked at the athletic uh, athlete that was in the ring possessing that size. And, you know, hell, uh, refrigerator, whatever, Perry was, it wasn't, uh, you know, on GQ magazine, but man, could he play football? You know, right, same yeah. with Dusty, Dusty. I mean, you know, he didn't look the part, but man, he, he, what a great heel he was. And a lot of people don't realize Dusty Rhodes was a great, great, great heel. He wouldn't have been as great as he was as a baby face if he had stayed heel somehow, you know? So, uh, yeah, he, you never, you never looked at Dusty as, as, as being a warrior. Was he pushy at all, like with people, like, or did he like to push buttons? Like, how was well, he? Well, okay, part? to answer, answer your question, so he evolved, but he he was Dusty Rhodes, but he wasn't really an alpha male because he had no confidence in his 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 backstage position because we were young, right? So uh, when I met him in Florida, he he did come in as that alpha male. I mean, he came in as an alpha male over on the hillside, but he knew that he wasn't the alpha male when when Jack Briscoe was around, and uh, he he took that role and he, he nourished that role as as a guy that that charismatic and uh, and 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 the alpha guy in waiting, you know, and, and he knew he was in waiting because Eddie confided to him that he was in waiting. He was going to be the next guy, and. Uh, and so when he became the ex, uh, next guy, holy cow, did he become an alpha male. You know, uh, he became uh, the, the strongest damn alpha male uh, in the business. You know? <laughs> and then, the grand, I, I'll tell you, man, you know, we, we talk about, well, Bruno was so hot, Harley was so hot. There wasn't nobody in this universe as hot as Dusty Road when Dusty Road got hot. Nobody, man, nobody as Chris Jericho say. Nobody in the world. I mean, uh, and there, and, and you know what? You you come up to uh, you know twenty years ago when we had the 
the, the Renaissance uh, uh, era with WWF when everybody was so damn hot. All those guys were spanking red hot. But when Dusty Rhodes was, 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 was ruling the anthem, he was made event in every major organization in the entire world. That's how hot he was. And it was off that damn uh, Atlanta TV, you know. Yeah. Yeah, think about it. He's up in New York. He's down in Florida, Georgia. Yeah, main eventing everywhere he goes. I mean, he'll go over to Japan. I mean, really, really, what a presence. What do you think was it like that made him connect so well with the audience? I mean, obviously, it's charisma, but something beyond that. Yeah, you go back to what we've been discussing. Dusty Rhodes was an ordinary man, you know, and Dusty Rhodes portrayed that. And, Dusty, and uh, you know, it's, it's overused with Dusty, but uh, a common man, you know, you know. You know, you can say a lot about Vince when they gave him that song, just a common man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, while we're using that reference for Dusty Rhodes when they say it was the worst gimmick, but that's another sign of Dusty Rhodes taking a gimmick at a piece of dong and making it into a, a gimmick that we're still talking about today. You know? Funny, so many guys, when they get bad gimmicks, they'll sulk, and, it, and you could tell on TV it doesn't work. Him, he seems like the kind of personality type of guy. It's like, really? You're going to give me this? All right, I'm going to prove you and like make you look stupid. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to give me this crap? I'll turn it around on you. It's the old Jim Ross saying, you know, give me the ball, coach. You know, I don't care where we are on the goal line. Give me the ball, coach, and I'll run. You know, does he give me the ball, Vince? And, you know, whatever more, whatever down it is, I'm, I'm going to run. You know, <laughs> and he ran. Yeah. It's like, can you get any more uncool than polka dots? But yeah. somehow, the way even the way he, he would say it goes polka dots, yeah, you, yeah. you would like be like, Oh, I love polka dots, you know what yeah. I mean? He gets you involved and interested, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he used it. I mean, that's what a smart guy does, that's to use it to his advantage, and it, it worked, yeah. Would it have worked on Hogan? Would it have worked on you know, a superstar? No, because they wouldn't have taken the gimmick with with the with the grain of salt that Dusty took it. And so I'll show him. I'll make I'll make it work. And I don't know that Dusty was that was Dusty's attitude or not. I don't know because we we were so far apart at that time, and there was a time when our friendship really drift, drifted far apart. And when I you know made my move to WWE and uh, and left uh, NWA, you know, under under TV uh, Vince McMahon, so. Uh, we kind of drifted apart then, but you know, later on he come up to me, and, and I, you know, one thing I always remember him and Terry Funk both had told me they thought it was the greatest move that we we ever could have done by selling our stock to Vince McMahon. Both of them told me that face to face, you know, and they were serious. So I, I, I appreciated that so much. I mean, that comment coming from those two guys who were Mr. NWA at the time, you know, and. Uh, Coming from them that, you know, hey, you guys did the right thing. If we had been in a position, we probably would have done the same thing. But we hated you at the time. I said, I, I was going to say at the time they hated <laughs> you, though. Yeah. 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 <laughs> when you and, and uh, Jack did that and sell the stock, does Dusty at this point just stop communication with you? Or was it one of the things where, where he's talking to you, but he's, he's angry with you? He, he he's not talking to us. I mean, uh, and even even my wife's friendship suffered uh, with with Michelle a little bit, and I, it, it was a it was a rough time uh, for our families. It really was, you know. But you know, it was all business, and you know what? They dug in, and Dusty made the best of the situation, and we dug in and, and did the best of the situation too. So, you know, it all worked out. When did you rekindle? Would it be when he came back to WWF in, you know, 89 or whatever it was? 
Yeah, and even then it was kind of distant, you know, your friend, but you can tell, you know, it's just not that bond that you had, you know, 20 years ago when you're much younger and yeah. you, you didn't have all that knowledge behind it. You just felt that. And as we work closer and closer, and, 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 and a lot of guys will tell you, when Dusty come back, Vince wasn't really a big fan of Dusty's at the time either. It was, it was an upheld grind for Dusty to get in a position that, that he's getting. And it took me and Michael Hayes a couple of trips to Vince's office at TVs to kind of cool, uh, cool the, the distance between the two of them. And we eventually did it, and, uh, and, uh, and they, become, they become close. But yeah, we we started. That's when we started renewing our friendship. But in the beginning, it was it was that one you know where, you know, you did this, you did this, and we've been away for this long. I don't know, I don't know what your motives are and all that stuff until we could tell each other, you know, face to face, one on one. Because up until then, there had never been a phone call. There had never been a what to do or, or this is why I did it. I mean, we didn't reach out to him, and he didn't reach out to us, and uh, so. Well, that that time because you come so tired at TV because you're putting in 14, 15, 16 hours, you know, with with somebody. So you know, after a while, you just you know you loosen up, you start talking to each other, and you you solve the problem between the two of us. And we did, and and we're both glad we did. I mean, we ribbed each other, you know, all the time. So. <laughs> What's a good rib you played on him? <laughs> uh, man, I you know. I, you know, I used to borrow his truck because when I first moved out where I did, I still had a car because I was still on the road a lot. So I, I couldn't afford both a car and a truck after I bought my house out here. So, so Dusty had a big, big truck. It was kind of our community truck out here. And I'd, I'd go borrow Dusty's truck. I'd take all the damn Texas taped out, put all Oklahoma taped in the damn thing. He'd get in, you know, come down, get in. Of course, everything was turned full blast. The stereo turned full blast. The heater in 90 degree weather turned full blast, you know, here in Florida. So just mess with him, things like that. Just just play ribs on him. <laughs> <laughs> he probably got, you know, really, really annoyed because once he get a little hot, you know. Yeah, yeah, he's a big man. He's a big man. So we had, we just had fun. It was never anything malicious or, you know, uh, property damage or anything like that. But we had fun with each other. Was he like a big ribber though? Like I know maybe joking around and stuff, but did he do many ribs? More joking around. He wasn't a ribber, and he did. He didn't really like ribs. He just didn't really care for them. I mean, it was just his demeanor, you know. And uh, he didn't really put up with them. And uh, but you know, when you're around smart asses like you know myself and Jack and and Mike Graham and Dick Slater and Steve Kern, you're going you're you're going to hear a lot of shit. And, yeah. Yeah. You better adapt because that's what you're around. <laughs> I was talking to uh, Rob Naylor. He was actually doing a, he, yeah, you know, he used to work for FCW yeah, yeah. and he was telling me a story about Dusty and, and Terry Funk. And I was like, wait, whoa, wait a second. What do you mean? <laughs> they were hanging out behind closed doors. He's like, yeah. I'm like, I thought they hated each other. Like this was like last year. I'm like, I thought they hated each other. He said, no, you know, they're friendly. And I was, I said, I can't believe that, you know, the Dusty and, and yeah. Terry Funk are, are yeah. buddies. I tell you, Rob used to hang out in a, in a in production office down at FCW and Dusty and I was in there because, you know, at that time, there weren't too many people in existence that could could stay with Dusty Road on on stories and rib Dusty Road like I right. could, 
And right. Rob used to say it in there. I'd see him over there in the corner, just glowing when I'd, I'd get on Dusty because nobody <laughs> else in the building would ever get on Dusty. I'd, I'd park in Dusty's parking spot and just to screw with his head there. And I watch, I couldn't wait for him to come in because he'd run right straight to Steve, you know, and I'd see him with his head. But I did every damn time I went to because he was never there all the time. So that made yeah. made a parking yeah. spot to Bob Buecher yeah. parking spot. Brother, I'm going to take it. You know? yeah. I'll find a place later. You know, But I, I knew it dreamed. I mean, I didn't take a brain surgeon to figure out. But I, you know, screw it, man. I put my uh, old big old Ford truck right in there. Did my, sometimes I back in like he does just for the hell of <laughs> it. I was going to say, would he come in and th start throwing stuff around? Oh, you know, he'd come in and he'd go right to Kern. And Greg, I'd see grab Kern, you know, and he'd be pointing. I know what he was pointing at, you know, and he'd sort of red in the face. And pretty soon I'd walk over there and he'd kind of calm down. And, you know, <laughs> sooner or later I'd go out and move my truck out of the way and pull his truck in there. Oh, <laughs> so when he, when he left, you know, he'd have his parking spot there. But I, <laughs> I that's it's just kind of those little kind of things. I just had a ball, you know, doing that, you know. That's great though, because you know he's not the king of the castle, but you know, he's he's yeah. a big deal. He's dusty, but that's great. Yeah. That he's, dusty. Like, he's, he's dusty, man. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, I, but you know, it's like you know what? I'm Jerry Briscoe. I'm going to humble you a little bit. You know, just jokingly, <laughs> but I'm gonna, yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, we had fun with each I mean, you know, like I said, he knew it was a fun, and it wasn't you know, it wasn't a one up dusty road by any means. It was just Briscoe being Briscoe. <laughs> yep. Doctor Tom said there was a few times he said stuff to him. At FCW, and uh, Doug Dream would like say he was going to kick him out, or he'd like mess with him and like not talk to him for the rest of the day. Yeah. So he's like, I don't, I don't know if you're serious or not. So then it would turn around where Dusty was messing with him because he, yeah. you know, he, you know, mind screwed him or whatever. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. He's yeah. just playing tricks on you. He's like, yeah. it's like, oh, now Dusty must be mad at me. He's not talking to me for the rest yeah. of the day. Yeah. Just like fun stuff, nothing harmful. Yeah, that's yeah. fun. And that was Dusty. That was Dusty's style of ribbon, you know, just fun stuff. And, you know, he, that, that was Dusty's personality, too. And, uh, wow, what a, what a guy. What would you say, like, when you just look at him, like, in ring, like, what would you say, like, about him <clears> as far as, like, because he could do the 60-minute matches, but you wouldn't think he could do. You know what I mean? What do you think about him as, like, the worker in the wrestling? Well, I, uh, man, I, I got to tell you this story here. Dusty Road, when, you know, Jack was doing all these 60-minute Broadway down here. I was doing 60-minute Broadway down there. My grandma was doing 60-minute Broadway down there. Harley Race was doing 60-minute Broadway down there. Terry Funk was doing 60-minute Broadway down there. Dusty Rhodes was doing 20 minutes at the max. So <laughs> one, summer, one summer, Dusty came over to Jack and I's place. Hey, guys, let's go play basketball. We used to go play basketball in Florida at 110 degrees. And, you know, basketball courts don't have any tree coverage either. So we do, he, sometimes we go get Don Morocco. Now, here's a 300-pound gorilla playing with another 300-pound-plus Texan, you know. So Jack and I are smarter than these guys. We played a little basketball. These two guys, you know, they're both coconut heads. So we would just pass the ball back and forth and make these guys run in it. Damn hot, hot heat. Pretty soon, Dusty. Head strong would be grabbing the basketball. And Morocco would be hugging, just going by, you know, and uh, – and we'd beat the crap out of them, and they, maybe they never could figure it out why. So Dusty would always say, man, 
how do you go a 60 minute Broadway? We'd set, we'd set in a truck on a trip or something. And, and Jack and I would explain to the pacing on going a 60 minute Broadway, how you break the matches down in different little segments, you know, and, you know, and, and, and all that and how you feel the people, you know, and to judge when it's time to do stuff and a basic foundation once again. So that was his goal is to go a, a 60 minute match. And he went to Eddie and he asked us to back him up on this thing. He going, he said, next time Harley's in town, I tell him, he said, I'm going to go talk to boss. I'm going to tell him that we're out here playing basketball every day. We're out, you know, playing football. And we were, we're out, we were out. I mean, we're, we're crazy. We're in the middle of summertime, Florida. We're out training with Dusty Rhodes to drop a little few pounds with him and get him in shape to go 16 minutes. Cause that's what the dream wanted to do. And so we're out there, we're sweating our asses off. So Eddie, Eddie comes to Jack and I, mostly Jack, and asks, what do you think? Can, can the big guy do it? And Jack said, Eddie, he, he worked his ass off. He at least deserved a shot. And he said, if anybody can give him 60 minutes, it'll be Harley race. So, all right, the match is set. We're going 60 minutes. Then the training intensifies. This guy, I mean, he's a beast. He's out, he, he called me, he's in the pool. He's lap swimming in his pool. He's out playing football catch with Freddie Solomon of the great University of Tampa receiver down here. He's playing basketball, man, Jack. He's playing uh, softball with us, running the field. And the guy is getting in shape. Man, he trained and he actually trained. And that night, the big night was coming. And I, you know, I've seen Dusty win titles. I've seen Dusty do it, but I've never seen Dusty as nervous as he was that night. He wasn't winning the title, but he was winning the victory because he went 60 minutes. He was so happy and backstage was so happy for the guy, uh, for the guy because everybody knew Dusty had been traded. So we were all backstage waiting for him to come back. And man, oh man, did we have a party that night? <laughs> no, he'll barely join. <laughs> nice. Pretty amazing though. Like he had a fight for it, you know, to get the yeah, sixty minutes. He did. Yeah. Nobody trusted him. I mean, man, that size, you didn't make him go sixty minutes in this heat down here in Florida. And then, you know, back in those days, the buildings were in air conditioned, and also people smoked in the damn building. So you had all that heat, and humidity, and all that damn smoke just draped over the ring. You've seen those old pictures of arenas, you know, back in those days. Yeah, oh yeah. They're smoke filled. It's hard as an athlete. It's hard to breathe in that damn smoke. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah, and I think it was yeah, it was Tony Schiavone and Connie. They just put up a video. I think it was an old video, but somebody had re re put it up. It was NWA versus the Police. It was some charity basketball game. Mm-hmm. Dusty was he was really good. He was dominating, hitting threes, oh, uh, layups. I mean, he he literally dominated them. Yeah, we had we had all kinds of those things, and a lot of that had to do with Dusty, and, and most of it had to do with Gordon Sully. We we you know we had a we had an FCW softball team. We played the St. Pete Cops. We played the Firefighters. We played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers two years in a row. And uh, they're lucky that that the time limit ran out, or we would have beat them. But it ended up zero zero. You know, and we played against a bunch of stuff. We played we played we played those charity softball games. And Dusty Dusty was was a star at each one each one each each game that we played. I mean, whether it be basketball, whether it be softball, whatever it was, Dusty was a star. You know, <laughs> Dusty yeah. was a great athlete. You know, a lot of people selling short, but man, Dusty Rhodes was an athlete. I'm surprised he's cutting the lane, hitting layups, and all of a sudden he's backing up, hitting threes. I'm like, wow, he's he's pretty good at basketball too. I was like, wow, 
Amazing. Was he a big community guy, like a big community advocate? Yeah, he was to a degree, but it got to a point where he couldn't even do those because people just didn't know how to manage security in those days. And it was just, it was, it was a zoo. Like I said, our, our little body shop signing went from, you know, an organized little body shop opening up in a neighborhood. How, how intimidating can that be to yeah. the police having to come and close streets down and every major news station in towns there with a live cutaway you know, of, of the traffic jams and everything. So yeah, it, it got to be where he couldn't do a lot of, them, but, uh, the 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 priest that that that, that uh, fiscated his, his his memorial here, uh, Monsignor Higgins, we became very very tight with Monsignor. And Dusty was a Catholic, but and Dusty got Jack and I involved, and we were we we're Southern Baptists, and so, but we we did a lot to help build uh, St. Lawrence uh, School here in Tampa by raising doing fundraisers for him, and we're Monsignor's. Higgins go to guy for fundraisers and everything and, and he got to be got to love him and he, he loved he loved the three of us. He officiated both Dusty and Jack's uh, death tell and he, he sort of passed away afterwards. What was the last time you saw Dusty? I know you want me to bring that up. When was the last yeah. time you actually did see him? Well, it was it was over at NXT, and it was very very strange. Dusty hadn't been coming around because he hadn't been feeling real good, and so. I'm sitting here, and it's the last day, and I'm sitting, I'm, I'm evaluating some talent, and all of a sudden, I feel this hand on my shoulder, and I look behind me, and it's a dream standing there smiling, so, of course, it got up, and we hugged each other, and, you know, uh, said hello to each other, sat there and bullshitted a while, and talked about how we're doing and everything, and I got to tell you, Dusty looked fantastic i mean he just looked fantastic but he did something that he very rarely does he said uh maybe he said uh, we haven't got a, a picture together he said do you mind if i take a selfie now this is american dream dusty road to ask me if, if you mind if he takes a selfie and i'm thinking in my mind you know i know the hell stories and everything man this is this is really kind of strange so he gets up there and, and he takes that selfie and Michelle tells me it was the last picture on his phone. Wow. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah. 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 It was chilly. And you know, so yeah. Wow. It's powerful. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 So I, I, I got that. We, I walked out with him. He said, I gotta go, baby. And we walked out and I hugged him. I said, dream. I'll see you down the road. He said, I'll see you brother. And he drove off in his truck. That was the last time I saw dream. Wow. Amazing though, and the last picture yeah. on his phone, he wanted to yeah, yeah, yeah. wanted to take a picture with you. Pretty cool yeah, though for yeah, you, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, wow. I mean, I, you know, you think about it, wow. And like I said, that's unusual for Dream to, to ask for a picture. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah it's weird. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's funny because like the last time I spoke to him, he goes, "Hey, uh, baby." He goes, "Next time you want to do this, he goes, bring a bag of cash." You know, just <laughs> just joking. Around. He goes, "I'm kidding." Yeah. He goes, "He goes, oh, he goes, we'll do this again sometime." So I'm thinking in my head, like, "Wow." He, and then when he I heard, like, he likes yeah. bags of cash. I'll tell you that. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I've like seen I, it, I've seen him receive quite a few of them. Too. Oh yeah. Oh, I believe it. So he's like, oh, "I'm kidding, baby." He goes, "But he goes, we'll do we'll do this again." So I'm you know thinking that. So when I heard he was, he had passed, I was just shocked because he sounded great on the phone. I talked. Uh, you know like the next day i talked to him he's like he sounded like you know dusty Rhodes would uh, sound yeah, he uh, was making fun of larry's abisco like you know like a normal person <laughs> yeah, would you know stuff yeah, like that yeah. he sounded great so i was pretty shocked you know, to hear that he uh, had passed yeah 
I was too, because like I said, when I left Orlando, I was happy because I got to see Dream, and I was happy because he looked good and he sounded good. He he was in a positive state of mind with himself too. And I'd been over there a few times where where Dusty wasn't in that great frame of mind. And you you when Dusty was in the dumps, you could tell when Dusty was grumpy and in the dumps. I mean, he that that charisma just just turned into a, a frown, you know, and uh, you could tell. And he kind of would just question him and help him out any way he could, you know, but you could tell something was bothering him. I, I didn't really know how bad the health situation was. I knew it was bad, but, you know, hell, it's Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> yeah, yep. It's a dream, you know, so you yeah. just you don't think about the, the downside. You know? War's emotions on his sleeve. He seems like that kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, he was he, just, you know, I, I'm, I'm proud of my friendship. I really am. It, you know, you, you, you pass through this business, you meet a lot of people and you, you, you become close to a lot of people. You share a lot of heartbreaks with, with, with the guys on the road and the girls on the road. You share a lot of victories and they're the substitute for, for your family, but you don't really become really tight friends with a lot of, lot of people on the road. And there's very few. And, uh, wow, Dusty Rhodes was one that I became friends with. It's crazy. Like how long you guys knew each other too. Like kind of like going through the, the rows together yeah. and then working for, again, end up working for WB together. I mean, it's a long friendship, cool. right? How many years would that be? 50 years? 50, 50 yeah. years, 50 years probably. Yeah. Yeah. Close wow. to 50 years. So crazy. Yeah. And they all were, well, we're all, weren't roses you know <laughs> they right, came me yep. with dream they came me with two people that 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 wanting to climb in the same business you're gonna butt head somewhere along the road right and it's how you butt head and, and the class and the dignity that you use when you're button heads and dream and i always give, gave each other the utmost respect because like i said when we first met we we're both going different directions with the same goal in mind and with nothing in our pocket you know so and 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 Dusty Rhodes made it to his destination. I have before you know we we start wrapping up stuff. So I I got to mention this because it's just so random. I love looking at matches and seeing like who guys wrestle and stuff. You and Dusty in '74 in Florida versus <laughs> this is such a random team. Maybe it's not, but to me it is. Bill Watts, Dick Slater in the Texas Tornado match, and Luthez is the referee. I'm just like looking wow. at. Some- Man, I was like, wow, that's st- like, you know, like wow. sticks out like a sore thumb. You're like, wow, that's uh, such an interesting matchup there. Dusty and I were friends, and then, you know, Bill Watts was booking at the time, and Bill knew that Dusty and I were, were tight, you know. So that chemistry, once again, Bill wanted Bill wanted the best quality of matches. And Bill booked some strange uh, different bookies, too. But they, he always took advantage of the guys' chemistry with each other. And so he knew Dream and I had a good chemistry, and he knew. And he wanted an easy match. He wanted somebody could sell and somebody could come back, and he had them both. You know, I'd, I'd give the sell and a hot tag to Dream, Dream come in, and boom, boom, boom. Now I go to watch. And then another just random one from 81. You, your brother, and Dusty versus Bobby Jaggers, Buzz Sawyer, and Eddie Mansfield. Like, I was like, wow, what a, oh, what wow. a six man. <laughs> Where was that in Orlando? Um, let me see. Where was that? That was in West Palm Beach West at the Palm Auditorium. Beach. Wow. Yep. I don't remember that one, but you know what? A thrill! You go. I go back. Luthez referee. 
you know, yeah. I, I was I, that was always a real thrill to me because I came along just just when Lou was active part of it, which was finished there, and uh, and I, I did get the opportunity to to physically work with him, and uh, and having a special referee like that, and it was always the same when we had a guy like uh, Joe, Joe Joe Lewis come in, and you know, and uh, wow, I mean, here's here my grandma's favorite athlete of all time was Joe Lewis and there he is sharing a ring with me uh, in a wrestling match. It was a thrill. I mean, uh, we were looking back and a lot of us were blessed and really don't realize, you know, how blessed we were until you, until you look back on it. So yeah. it was fun. And it's been fun uh, sharing these memories with you, man. So so cool. And I just love that. Like through the like, history books, you're like, wow, like Jaggers and Mansfield. Yeah. <laughs> like these guys. And then it's like you, Dusty, and your brother. I mean, wow, I'll tell you, awesome. Bob Man. Bobby Jaggers was one of Dusty Rhodes' best friends. And Bobby, Bobby performed above his ability when he worked for Dusty. He really did. Bobby, Bobby became a really good worker. And Bobby was a good worker, but he became a star with Dusty. And that's something that Dusty Rhodes can do to a lot of these guys, you know. And if you look back, Dusty liked a lot of those cowboy-looking guys, the Bobby Jaggers, you know, whoever Bobby Jaggers' partner was back in the days, you know, the Eddie Manfields, you know. He liked those rugged guys. He he liked to liked to work with them, and he liked to book them, and he liked their matches. And all that philosophy came from the great Eddie Graham, you know. So just looking back, the legacy of Dusty Rhodes, we can say his wrestling, his booking, the way he is behind the scenes, Dusty the man. What what do you think is the legacy of Dusty Rhodes? Well, it'll be Dusty the booker. I mean, Dusty, uh, you know, the booker, I think. I mean, uh, but don't overlook that career. And, and, and you know, you know, you know, Dusty Rhodes is one of those guys. What's the greatest thing about Dusty Rhodes that you can think of? His charisma. You know, holy cow, you're missing so much. You know, <laughs> you're yep. missing so much. You know, look inside that charisma, you know, and find out what's the guy. Why did he have that charisma? What what was able what what was an enabler to to put that out there, you know, is this business. You had to be good to, no matter how much charisma you because you were boasting guys loaded charisma that couldn't draw a dime. So you had, to, you had to have that ability to go along with that charisma. And, and Dusty Rhodes should be noted for more than just charisma. And that bionic elbow. Can't forget the bionic elbow. <laughs> bionic elbow. I love that place. And that was a great thing. Everybody loved working with Dusty because all you had to do was run into an elbow. You know, boom, boom, boom. We love it. <laughs> that I was, I just took it as uh, having fun, making a living, enjoying what I was doing, and, uh, uh, you know, but Dusty took it very seriously, see. He, it, was, it was really, really business, and, uh, and of course, uh, uh, you know, he went on to, uh, you know, uh, to, once he left uh, Florida, 
we're on the Charlotte to, to book up there and uh, uh, you know so uh, but but his biggest uh, his biggest thrill uh, really was uh, working with me in the garden uh, uh, both gardens Boston Garden and uh, and the Madison Square Garden of course uh, uh, the, the bull rope match bringing that to a Madison Square Garden and uh, uh, Texas Death Match which is nothing more than a no DQ match. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah, it, it was a, uh, you know, it was, it was a good title. It was a very, and the Dusty B for Texas was a Texas death match. So, so okay, so it's a glorified no DQ match. But uh, that was his biggest thrill was uh, uh, working in the garden uh, uh, and then selling out. Everything sold out. He was just so over, uh, so much charisma. It just, uh, you know, uh, it really, really, really turned the fans on. And uh, I know that Vince Sr., uh, who was, uh, uh, you know, called all the stuff at the time, uh, at, at that era, during that era, uh, he really accommodated Dusty going back and forth to Florida. Like in Boston, for example, uh, you know, we... The, the back then, the main event went on like third, fourth, and uh, uh, and and Dusty uh, would fly up from Florida in Boston when he worked in the Boston Gardens, and uh, we arrived like at four o'clock his flight, and uh, get over to the building, and, and we go on like third or fourth, so so Dusty could get back to the airport and fly back to Tampa on the 11 o'clock last flight to Tampa out of Boston. The fast turnaround from all the way from Florida to Boston uh, and just being there for a few hours. But, uh, uh, but of course, uh, uh, it was well worth it. And, uh, 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 but uh, Vince uh, Sr. and, of course, Jr. Uh, loved uh, Dusty. brought so much excitement. Uh, I don't know. Uh, he just was so natural, you know. You you look at now. We have to look at the, uh, uh, you know, tapes. We have to look at the, uh, you know, everything uh, recorded. Uh, you can see it when you really watch him. You can see uh, see how natural he was. Uh, nothing was forced. Everything was easy. Every everything seemed to come. Come naturally, uh, you know, uh, uh, with Dusty. So uh, probably the uh, without question the best uh, babyface uh, I ever I ever worked with um, uh, was Dusty. Uh, no, no doubt about it. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, the, his persona of the, quote, American dream, you know, apple pie, you know, baseball, hot dogs, 
you know, Dusty Rose, right? The American Dream. And so to be able to kind of kind of kind of pair that that scenario up with, you know, the the epitome of evil, the you know, the the, the Russian commie, you know, still in an era of of uh, you know uh, the patriotic era of of, of hating the Russians. Uh, especially for what they did and boycotting the, you know, the, the games in Los Angeles. Um, it just made, as you're saying, it just made perfect sense to, uh, to pair up the two of us and, and, and made for a natural angle. And then, of course, you know, fast, you know, we, there's never a lot of, a lot of different matches we had that we could talk about from full rope matches to Russian chain matches to, uh, you know, just, a variety of matches, but, um, and then fast forward and parlay that into the angle uh, of, of, of becoming the superpowers that nobody on the planet at the time ever even considered that to be a possibility, you know, that in and of itself, because of it being such an impossibility, got over in such a, an incredible way, uh, just amazing. especially in Florida, you know, and uh, it was uh, probably the greatest feud in wrestling at that time. All you had to do is put us in the ring, uh, not even put us in a ring, put us in the same arena. That's the same thing with Lawler, you know. Put us in the same uh, arena. We don't have to be in a ring together, and uh, we'll find each other, but the people know that we're going to find each each other before the night's over. Now, he mentioned that, that Fatso story. Is that true? Would you go around talk, uh, talking about Dusty, calling him Fatso? Well, if Dusty was close enough to hear it, I'd go ahead and say, <laughs> is that so? Is that so? <laughs> he was too dumb to pick up on it. <laughs> <laughs> what was it about you guys? you and Dusty that, you know, you, you could never get along. You guys were always shooting, always having wild, iconic, crazy brawls. What was it like between you two and the, and the chemistry? You guys never seemed to quite get along. Well, you know, it was, uh, it was a continuous feud. Not even, uh, it didn't even, it went back further than uh, myself in wrestling. It went back to West Texas University, you know, 
And uh, it actually went back to whenever Dusty was was playing behind me. He was playing like a second team guard, and he could never start for West Texas because I was always ahead of him. I was always a, I was always so much better than Dusty. I was wrestling for Eddie Graham in championship wrestling in Florida. And uh, Dory Funk Jr. was the booker uh, when I was first there. And and I was and I was real good friends with uh, Mike Gray and Mike's the one that brought me in and and so I was there and and just you know kind of learning the ropes and uh, you know working my way you know on the bottom up the middle of the card and uh, you know just again paying my dues and and learning learning the art that we all you know were so passionate about and I met Barry Wyndham about a month prior to uh, meeting Dusty and. Barry and, and Dusty were very close because of Dusty's relationship with with, with uh, Barry's dad, uh, Blackjack Mulligan, and and Barry and I we we struck up this immediate uh, very unique relationship as well. And when Dusty came in, uh, it kind of just put me in a situation where because of Barry's relationship, I I was kind of thrown into the mix and and uh, traveled with him and went down the road with him and then. Times when Barry wasn't there, it would just be Dusty and I. We just uh, found we had this kind of kindred spirit thing going on, and it was it was just amazing because Dusty, everybody can imagine Dusty going down the road listening to Willie Nelson, but Dusty could listen to Frank Sinatra and all kind of just old nostalgic music and things like that, and be just as passionate about that as he was country music. And I had this real diverse background in music and different things like that too. So we just we. We, uh, we we hit it off big down there in Florida, uh, had a very strong bond, and it just grew uh, and continued to grow, you know, over from like 1982, uh, you know, until, you know, his passing. Well, they call them the natural, natural as can be. Yeah, they call them the natural, it just comes naturally. It's a natural one Didn't have his shoes to fill But he had to do it his own way He did it with courage and strong will Now just look at him today He's walked out of the shadows And he's blazing his own trail He told him from the beginning That I'll never fail Now they're calling the natural Pops, um, Pops always lived on the edge of a lightning bolt, 
and he said it a lot in his promos. He is the most incredible man I've ever met in my entire life, and just um, a great father, great friend, great man. And Dusty will always be remembered in in our industry. And he's with all of us because he is the, he he was the common the common man. He was a a man of the people, and he talked to you, talked to you. He, he, you could feel him and feel his words constantly. You knew Dusty was talking to you specifically when he was looking at the TV. And those are lasting memories that, that this will never fade. And for me especially, he's been you know, a, a great father and wonderful friend, and I love him and I miss him. And I'm glad that you guys are doing a, a tribute show. Uh, that, that's, that's pretty awesome. And I'm sure he would appreciate it. And he would always say, keep stepping, man. Dusty came out and had my head, had my name on the side of his head, uh, like a football helmet. And, uh, that was, oh, yeah. that was, cause I didn't know that was going to happen. I got in the ring and here he came. Uh, but you know, some of those, that, that first blood match was, was a, was a tremendous match. Uh, and, uh, you know, you've got to, you can have good matches and when you were wrestling every night of the week, like we were back in those days, um, you, you didn't have your a plus game every night. I mean, you had your a game, but the a plus game, you know, a little bit of extra, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And, uh, Starcade certainly was one of those little bit of extra type nights and uh the that match just i mean it was just a uh click type setting and uh you know for for uh dusty to lose the first blood match was pretty phenomenal anyway cuz nobody would have expected that and uh uh it's uh it, it's a pretty memorable Pretty memorable match. He could be here in the arena. Oh, no. Dusty, don't touch her. No, don't touch her. No, don't, no, don't do that, Dusty. The lawyer could be right here in the building. Oh, no. It's totally Blanchard. Blanchard has come from behind. Oh, my goodness. Blanchard. He held. Dusty Blanchard had held Dusty Rhodes. Baby doll slapped him right across the face. Can you believe it? It was, it was hard, but then it was easy at the same time. I mean, 
You know, most people wouldn't want to go out and have a 30, a 40, or 50-minute match with Dusty because it was difficult to work with it sometimes because it was just, it was, it was just, you worked. And it wasn't like, oh, yeah, just go out there and have a match. When you worked with Dusty, you worked, and, and you worked every single night to get every ounce of energy. Because look at, look at what we were having to follow. Like if, if we were on a typical card, we followed probably Midnight Express against Rock and Roll Express, and then we would have like Tully against um, Dusty, and then you had Flair against Magnum or something in the main event. Now how are you, you – you've got to give everything, otherwise people aren't going to remember you. And you know what? People remembered every single match on that card, and that's a testament to Dusty, but then it's also a testament to everybody that was on the card, but no one went out of that arena going, oh, you know, I'm never going to go to wrestling again. They couldn't wait until next month to spend their, you know, $10, $20 to come see us again. And that, you know, that's a testament right there. Dusty had everyone working with the best person that they could work with to bring out cards, and people remember us 30 years later, you know, and, and really have nothing bad about anything to say about us. Now he's wanting to bet money. 
So I said, okay, just get stop, pull over. So we stopped probably middle of the night, 1 or 2 o'clock, coming back from somewhere. And he gets out, he had cowboy boots on and no shirt on. He's got his boots, his pants, jeans tucked down in his boots, and he gets out there and he says, one, and he put his other boot in front of himself, two, he got to like 12, and he's going, man, this is some good shit. And as we get to like almost 15, he looks at me, he goes, oh, man, we got to pull this on a bunch of people. All of a sudden, he's turned what my two grand was for reward of having it 15 feet into, we're going to get other people with this. So... That was just kind of a simple story about Dusty, but he was a great guy. I mean, you know, funny, he he just did things different than any anybody else I was ever around. And he always had the ability to make me smile. Three days before Dusty passed away, he called me, and he left an answer machine message on my phone. And I'll just tell you basically what he said was, Hey, baby, I just wondered about you. Hope everything's good. I know you're all right. Having a good time with them grandchildren. I love you. Talk to you soon. And then I sent a picture of me and him back to him, texted. I didn't even talk to him on the phone, but I sent a picture back of me and him where he's in a tie-dye T-shirt, and he's got his arm around me, and I've got some belt on, and we're just standing as young guys, you know, and he wrote for Eddie, and he said back to me, he said, I love that tie-dye T-shirt. <laughs> I'll send the picture to you, and that way it proved what I said. Anyway. <laughs> Let me tell you something, too, Holler Race. If you want it one more time, I don't want to go to St. Louis. I don't want to go to Chicago. I don't want to go to Philadelphia. I don't want to go to Louisiana. I don't want to go to Texas. I want to whip your butt right here in Georgia one more time. You understand? That's all the dream got to say right now. I'm going to be back in a minute with a big victory, Jack. There you have it. The comments from the world heavyweight wrestling champion, the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. Dusty is one of the, the few guys, and there's probably just a few, that to this day, if he walked, God bless him, out on my deck where I'm sitting right now, I would just sit here with my jaw on the ground thinking to myself, God, what a big star he is. Um, I feel that way today. I feel that way uh, my entire career and the first time I ever met him. I was just starstruck. He's one of those rare individuals that it just comes out of his pores. And uh, Dusty Rhodes was never Virgil Runnels. Dusty Rhodes was always Dusty Rhodes. And it wasn't something he put on in the morning and took off at night. He was... That's who he was, and he was a huge star, and uh, he was a creative guy. And uh, one thing, one thing, Dusty knew better than anything is Dusty knew how to program a show with him at the lead, and he should have been in the lead, and uh, sell some tickets. And uh, I learned a lot from him. I learned just being in the by osmosis, just being in a match with him, elevated me. I know that. And uh, I saw it happen to a lot of guys, and uh, he was something special. There'll only be one, that's for sure. Definitely true on Dusty. And do you think that the Horsemen would have gotten kind of as big as they did without Dusty being that perfect foil for them? 
I think Dusty needed the horseman, and the horseman needed Dusty. I agree with that 100%. Then you filter in uh, the Rock and Roll Express, and you figure in, you know, all the other players, the Midnight Express, you, you know, Ronnie Garvin, you name it. Everybody that uh, that was in that era that was contributing, the Road Warriors, my God, you know, we had a lot of, lot of, packed houses wrestling those guys uh it was just one of those when you got brad armstrong and tim horner and the first and second match as good as those guys were you know it was just loaded top to top to bottom uh you know the russians it's incredible incredible amount of talent came through jim crockett promotions that's for sure Yeah, Dusty and I were good friends, and Dusty confided in me a lot. Dusty was a big reason. Dusty and Ric Flair were the big reasons that the Crockett's back in those days, early days, and you know, uh, depended on me, liked my work. They, the Dusty and Flair, were big supporters of mine. So I was always very friendly, and I, uh, you know, always uh, when I go back and think about my career and point to some of the uh, the people who were instrumental in my career, Dusty and Ric Flair are two of the top ones. So now uh, I'm here in the WWF, and Bruce Pritchard, and I can remember it vividly, and I'm going to tell this story in Dallas, too, uh, with Bruce there. And Bruce will probably, you know, he'll probably embellish it to make it seem like uh, I'm full of crap. But in reality, we all know it's Bruce that's full of crap. But here's how the story goes, and it's a true story. Uh, Bruce calls me into his office, and he says, well, I got good news for you. And I said, okay, what is it? He said, we're bringing in one of your buddies. And I said, yeah. He said, yeah, we're bringing in Dusty Rhodes. I said, you've got to be kidding me. And I said, is he going to book? What's he going to do? He said, no, he's going to wrestle. I said, okay. He said, but I want to, I want to, I'm going to tell you something that you're not going to believe. And, and I said, what is it? He said, he's going to be wearing polka dots. And I said, yeah, you're right. I don't believe it. He said, I'm serious. He's going to be wearing polka dots. I said, no, he's not. He said, yes, he is. And I said, okay. So I get home, and I don't think it was that same day, but I think it was maybe a day or two later. I called Dusty because I knew his number, and I said, you're coming in, right? He said, yeah. Are you excited? I said, yeah, I'm excited. He said, I'm excited too. And I almost said, are you really wearing polka dots? But I, but I thought it was... But I thought it was such a big joke from Bruce that I didn't want to bring it up. I should have said, you know, Bruce Pritchard's telling me you're wearing polka dots, but I think he's full of shit. And I would have been wrong because he did wear polka dots. And uh, what that was all about, I don't know, with the exception of maybe there, you know, there's a lot of theories out there that they were trying to embarrass Dusty uh, and, you know, go completely different gimmick than the cowboy gimmick that he had, the Texas tough guy gimmick that he had. But I never believed he was wearing polka dots. 
until I really saw it. And uh, that was a shock. So I was afraid to, to say anything to him about it, to think this was a big rib maybe played on me or something. I don't know. So, But he did He did wear polka dots. <laughs> yeah, he Didn't wore he? polka dots. Yeah, and he was probably the best guy to ever put on a goddamn polka dot because he really uh, he made it work in those vignettes they had for him, you know, pulling yeah. stuff out of the toilets, you know, the son of the yeah. plumber, really taking that to the extreme, the garbage man, all the stuff that they did. He yeah. was a common man. But right. did you think well, you know, fit well? Well, with the WWF? Yeah. Uh, well, not as a you know, I, I don't know. I mean, Dusty, before he was Dusty Rhodes, with the polka dots, you know, the Vince, uh, he had been brought in many times, I guess by Vince Sr. as a, a special attraction and, and had a lot of uh, some matches in Madison Square Garden and the WWF. Dusty, you know, Dusty was a, you know, people forget about, we, we talk about Dusty as the booker, but he, you know, you talked about uh, Chad the Vignettes. He was a funny, irreverent uh, guy who got over just by his wit and his able to his ability to talk, so he could adapt to anything. And uh, you go back and listen to some of the commentary that he did with me and Eden, and some of that stuff is absolutely priceless. He was so funny, he was so talented, he was so uh, entertaining and engaging that it did not surprise me uh, that Dusty was able to to do well in the WWF even in polka dots. He was smart. He was a smart guy. Because, um, you know, we always used to joke with Dreamer because Dreamer will, you know, talk about himself in the third person as the dream and stuff like that. So, you know, I didn't I didn't even know Dusty was in the building that night. when they, And he goes, oh, you're working with the dream. I go, all right, cool, man. What are we doing? You know, like I, <laughs> I'm just thinking, uh, you know, it, it's, it's I'm wrestling Tommy Dreamer. He goes, no, man, you're doing something with the dream. And I'm like, <laughs> what? And... Um, yeah, the first thing we met, and I said, "Sir, would you, you know, we got this promo, blah blah blah. What would you like to?" He goes, "Kid, if you're as good as they say you are, we don't need to talk about anything. We just do it." I said, "Oh, okay." And um, and the original plan was that he was just going to give me one big elbow. I would, you know, I would bump for him and roll out, and we'd be done. You know, that it was a one-time thing. We weren't even going to use it for TV because we didn't know if like. You know, he had just gotten released earlier that week from WCW, so we we didn't know what we could use. And then it was as soon as you know, as soon as they came alive for the first elbow, Jack was like, "Oh, you know what? I'm in here." And it, it just felt like it was magic because you know, I'd get back up, I he'd get back up, I get back up. I took the big bump and stayed in the center because I knew the big elbow had to come. And right from there, he told Paul, "He's like, put me in a program with this kid, you know." And uh, yeah, it just. It was glorious. And Paul asked, he goes, how do you see this ending? And I go, 
you know what? Bull rope match. And he goes, let's do it. I'm like, wait, what? Bless you. Yeah, and we end we end up doing the bull rope match, and one of the it is the greatest thing, you know. People always talk about like winning the ECW title was that Paul's greatest honor for you and stuff, which and it was, it was a great honor. But the greatest thing he ever said to me is he pulled me aside as soon as I got through the locker room after the bull rope match, and he grabs me, he goes, "Steve Carino, that was better than anything that him and Tully ever did." You know, <laughs> Paul had no idea that you know my. My three favorite wrestlers when I was growing up was Wildfire Tommy Rich, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, and Tully Blanchard. And that's <laughs> what I saw in the feud is that I was the Tully Blanchard, Eddie Gilbert, in you know, type of heel. And, and when he said that, like, I was like, thanks, Paul. You know, like, I, like I was misty-eyed. I was, I was so...
to just be ourselves and enjoy the moment, knowing that we worked so hard for 51 weeks out of the year, and here was this time where he and I could be together and um, just savor, savor the moment. I'm not here as the American dream tonight. I'm here as Virgil Runnels, and I, and I want the McMahons to hear what I got to say. If Triple H said, hey, by the way, if you don't beat Randy Orton, you lose your job. You're out of work. You're on unemployment line because that's what's best for business. Having two sons you are proud of, two sons that you love with all your heart is what's best for business. No, I mean, uh, what you just said, the last thing you just said is is the reason for his success. Um, as a performer, he made the fans around him feel really good. And in the context, you, you know, we're speaking and doing an interview, he made you guys um, feel really good. My dad had a link to the fans. He had a link to to his colleagues, his peers. He just had a link. And uh, it was very entertaining to witness uh, from, a, you know, sitting out in the stands. And it was very entertaining to witness if you were in the ring with him or in you guys' case, speaking to him on the phone. He just, he has a link with people. Um, anything that was, you know, a people-pleasing industry, he could have, uh, he could have really excel that he would have been an excellent preacher uh he probably could have been the president of the united states if had they just let him write his own speeches i mean he uh he just has a connection with with people and i think at the heart of it all it's very simple why it's genuine um wrestling is about selling tickets and then selling tickets because they had a good fan consumer you know experience at the time in my dad's case, I don't know if it really was ever about selling tickets. As much as it was about just just making people feel happy, that made him feel happy. And uh, that's why he did it for so long. It, it was just genuine. There's so many con artists and shakedown folks, in, not just in wrestling, but in show business. Uh, show business is a shady, shady industry, but he was uh, the least shady individual you'd ever meet. And I'm glad that, uh, you know, nice guys don't always finish last. And, you know, Dusty certainly didn't. Unreal. And just, you know, Mount Rushmore. If you could put the Mount Rushmore of professional wrestlers, you got to put Dusty on there for sure. And, you know, was he a big influence on you actually getting into the wrestling business, or did he not really want you to kind of follow in his footsteps? Uh, I think um... – it's difficult to say because he, he told me, you know, he verbalized to me he did not want me to be um, a pro wrestler. He wanted me to be an actor um, or anything else. He wanted me to take my scholarship offer I had to go amateur wrestle. And he wanted me to be anything else. But he also knew I had, um, just from fandom, that I had a love for it. And um, he would bring me around it. So when you're backstage and you're around some of these larger-than-life characters, um, 
guys with spiked shoulder pads, guys painting their face, these huge men, these, these colorful, elaborate costumes. It's just overall pageantry, the pyro, the production. I mean, what the hell else are you going to want to do? Um, and I just, I just fell, I fell for it. Uh, and um, he knew that. So he would say, hey, I don't want you to do it. But he didn't put up much of a fight when I told him, hey, I, I actually really want to give this a true, true undivided attention and give it a true run. Uh, he, he helped make it happen uh, for me. And then he, uh, as soon as he helped open that door for me, he stepped back and, you know, never, he, he did not really have much measure on my career after that as far as, like, input. He was no longer on the creative team. He he wasn't at developmental with me. We did some stuff together from time to time. And, you know, he got, he helped give me my first break on television with Randy Orton. But uh, that was one of the great things about him is he let me, he let me do my thing. And he didn't want me to bleach my hair blonde or do his elbows or try and, you know, talk like he did. He, he, he actually was going to told me, he said, you should dye your hair black and just be mean as a snake. And, just be the absolute opposite of me. Um, so yeah, no, there's uh, just thinking about him now, man. I just get super misty-eyed because I just I, I miss my father so much and wasn't ready to lose him. Um, but that's you know that's what happened. And some of these arenas and buildings I've been in lately, they remind me more of him than anything. Um, so it feels it feels good to have a connection with him. Uh, like that again. Absolutely. And, you know, the amazing legacy that he left behind, but all that advice and that influence that he had on you, how do you kind of use that looking forward, you know, looking into the future? How do you use his advice? So, you know, I was kind of saying this in the last, my, my last answer and, and uh, maybe a better way to, I, I didn't use his advice so much in his uh, life, but in his death, I've used his advice considerably more. It's kind of one of those "what would Dusty do" situation, and uh, I found myself asking that a lot. And uh, and you just have to. I think his gut was similar to my gut, and uh, maybe I didn't follow my gut for a while there at kind of the you know my latter days at WWE. So to be able to follow my gut. Uh, just that, that reminds me so much of him because my dad was not a overthinker. He was not an overanalyzer. You can ask a lot of the guys who went through his communications class at NXT. Um, it was, uh, he wanted to make you feel comfortable because when you're comfortable and you're speaking, that audience is also comfortable or you're going to make them uncomfortable as much as you can. You know how, how that all works. But, uh, I just, I just hope we have a similar gut and I find myself in a lot of those, what would Dusty do situations? And, uh, it, I don't, I don't do so much what Cody would do anymore. I, I've <laughs> lately been doing a lot of what, what would Dusty do? Now I, I read in another interview, it said that he kind of gave you advice years ago. Obviously you didn't follow it. Like you said, until he ended up passing <laughs> on, but you know, the, the advice of leaving the WWE was that, you know, was that really something that he wanted? Was that just something like, yeah, you should think about maybe doing it to your career? Well, um, 
I think it's hard for people to believe this because um, it just all comes out after the fact that I'm no longer with WWE. But uh, he was very firm about it. Actually, he uh, we had the discussion in Miami um, at, at WrestleMania because I was very disappointed in the direction that I was going, and uh, and he thought that would be best because at the time he was thinking more of a leverage standpoint, like well. You know, if you if you if you put your foot down, essentially, uh, if you if you man up, um, if you feel you've been slapped in the face, slap them back in the face, and 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 you leave. They'll know what they were missing. And uh, he was speaking both from a business standpoint, but also because I was his favorite. Because I I mean, like as I was his son, you know. And he's speaking from a dad standpoint as well. And uh, that's why I didn't take it because he's a that emotional connection to it, I, that just seems, you know, like too much of an emotional decision. And then I look back at it and I, I'm glad I didn't actually ask for my release then, but there were times that came after that, that was definitely moments where I should have said, okay, you know, things are not, um, I'm not getting closer to my goal. I'm getting farther away. And the best thing to do is maybe take a step back and, uh, and take all this in. Um, so yeah, no, that was something he was very firm on after WrestleMania in Miami. He, he wanted me to, I don't even remember what his plan was. I think he, he always would say, you just go to LA. I think he thought if you just go to LA, you'll just, you're guaranteed to get a, a part, which is not the case at all. And <laughs> incredibly difficult. Um, but he, uh, that was always his plan for me. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash Empire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies brother.